Welcome to Embrace Your Journey, a podcast about creating a life you love, embracing the journey you're on, and realizing it's up to you to be in the driver's seat and live your best life. My name is Carol Davis. I'm an artist and a storyteller who's filled with grace and guts to squeeze the most out of this awesome life. I love journaling and helping others discover their path through creative writing and expression. Welcome to finding your way, learning new passions, and figuring out the real you through self-exploration and dream building. Well, here I am, my very first podcast. I've been saying for years that I was going to do this, and then finally, here we are. This is what we like to call uh, the FFT in Brene Brown's words. Uh, Today I have a guest, and that is Muriel Dahlin. She is an awesome person, a great friend of mine. I've known Muriel for a few years now, and I wanted you to be able to get to know her and find out a little bit more. So here we go. So hello, Muriel. I'm so happy to have you join me today on what is my first podcast. I'm following in the steps of Brene Brown and getting over the FFT of getting this thing going and just doing it. If you're not familiar with that podcast, please take the time to look up Brene and listen to her very own first podcast. I'm so honored that you trusted me to have your FFT and that we're going to figure this out. Perfect. So Muriel, I wanted my audience to get to know you more and come away with some strategies for balancing life at home with a teenager and the new world of teleworking. Only your teleworking is a little different than a lot of other people. I know you as a friend, mom, wife, and middle school teacher. Could you give us a little more information about you, where you grew up, and what brought you to where you are today? That's such a big question. Let me start right there in the middle. Um, I would say that really, it's interesting that you asked first about where I grew up, because I think for everybody, that's the origin. And while I have family in Southern Maryland, I grew up in Southwest Florida in a tiny little beach town called Venice. Um, And I think that's informed a lot of my adult perspective, having been a child growing up around an interesting cast of characters. And that time frame of my childhood, I was surrounded by people who had the good fortune of retiring to Southwest Florida, driving big Cadillacs, wearing white patent leather shoes. And I witnessed a lot of really interesting stories about people who had had experiences growing up in a completely different time. Um, It was almost like a Jimmy Buffett story, an interesting cast of characters. But all of that kind of brought me to striking out on my own journey. And I left Southwest Florida after graduating high school, came up here to be with my family, and worked my way through college. In doing that, I've decided that I combined my love of history and interesting stories with deciding to be a teacher, having a lot of really fascinating occupations along the way. So how long have you been a teacher and what brought you to going back to school to fulfill that career path? I began teaching in 1995 and I began my career as a high school teacher. Um, So I began in 95. I worked for a few years with some incredible students and a lot of really amazing teachers I had the privilege of getting to know. 
And then in 1997, I had my first child, Aiden was born. Um, and that was sort of a game changer, trying to, of course, balance being a teacher with also being a young parent and having a family. In 1999, we had an unfortunate tragedy. We lost a child to being stillborn. Um, and that really rerouted our course dramatically. We were fortunate enough to go on to have my daughter Riley in 2001. But it was at that time that I knew I was um, expecting her that I decided to stay home from being a teacher. It was time for us to make a change. So I had Riley in 2002 and decided to stay home for a couple of years. And that turned into about 12, <laughs> um, as things often do. You know, I got a couple of years under my belt just enjoying being home with the kids when they were young. We were having a great time. I was very fortunate that with some adjustments and some sacrifices that I was able to stay home. And it was beautiful. I really enjoyed it. In 2005, Aiden was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of eight. Um, and then that really shifted my priorities. And I was really not in a big hurry to go back to the obligations of being a teacher day in and day out. And it was even prior to that, that Bill and I really lived into being members of our community. Um, I like to call us professional volunteers. <laughs> Bill was a soccer coach, but not just a soccer coach. Then he's also going to be the vice president of the soccer board. And then I did my own things, never really leaving education. I was a PTA president. I ran an after-school volunteer program at White Marsh Elementary called the LEAP program that was sort of brought to us by um, another elementary school that had implemented it. It was begun at Hollywood Elementary. We ran the LEAP program for a few years. I was a director of a multi-age Sunday school program at Christ Church in Chaptico. Um, and we just really lived into our community and had a great time. Uh, we also really got very involved in the diabetes community with um, the people that we met through conferences, particularly the Friends for Life conferences that would happen in Orlando every year. We met some incredible people and really, you know, I can't say enough, just lived into our community and our family at every turn. Oh, and I think I also did some volunteering at Historic St. Mary City. And then I was substituting in the elementary school. You name it, I did it. I think I went on every single field trip. And then I think, I think it was about 2012, I was asked by a friend who was a kindergarten teacher if I wanted to come work as a paraeducator with her. So it was quite the adjustment to go from being a high school teacher to being in kindergarten. But I got to tell you, no one loves you like a kindergartner. Oh, I bet. That was the most incredibly joyous time. My favorite stories are still all of my kindergarten stories. But doing that for about three and a half years or four years really led me wanting to be back in my own classroom. Um, but I had a few hurdles that I had to jump in order to make that happen. I had to take some more classes, recertify. And let me tell you, when I came back to teaching, that world was vastly different from the one I had left behind in the early 2000s. So I recertified, I taught English for the first two years, and now I am again teaching history and I'm teaching eighth graders and really loving every minute of it. Muriel, as everyone knows, right now is a different time than what it was a few months ago. Not only are you a mom of a high school senior, you're also a teacher having to learn new skills as an online middle school teacher. Did you ever imagine when you were pursuing your teaching degree 
that this is how you would be teaching your students? Absolutely not. There is no way that we could have anticipated anything like this. Honestly, if something like this had happened in the early 2000s, there would have been no options. We didn't have nearly the resources that we have now. Um, when I was first teaching in 1995, we did have computer labs, but they were primarily for word processing. All of your research was done in the media center with printed materials. There were some computers, you had some access to the internet, but it was so limited. And that was such a game changer. And it was really about access to knowledge and information. And now it's more about what we ask students to do that with that knowledge and that information. Um, but never, ever, ever, had we thought that there would be a time where schools would just be so. So is there a particular balancing career and family issue that stands out above all others that moms or teachers will need to pay special attention to as, as we go through this, this material and this time frame and, and this new way of learning? Uh, I think it's a number of things. I would say first that you need to have a little bit of structure you need to create for your family a schedule and you've got to communicate some clear expectations and boundaries for each member of your family. We're all in each other's space at the moment with a um, little bit, little distraction or relief from that. So I really think communicating those expectations and boundaries and the schedule and the structure, and I say that with the giant caveat of all the while being flexible. I think the flexibility is key because different needs and requirements are going to come up in the moment and no matter who you are, you've got to be able to address that. So structure and a plan and then flexibility when that plan isn't working and needing to do something else. And just taking a moment, giving yourself a little bit of grace to understand that your experience can change from hour to hour, how you're feeling, what you're thinking. And I think that everybody has to just let that be okay as they work through it just kind of grow into it and and the issues that that they may counter why is it so important for these things to for these structures to be put into place i think both the structure and then the flexibility first you need to have a plan so that you can then deviate from the plan if you need to but i think what's so important about that is that those are the very skills that we need and the ability to reflect on that in order to be able to be successful in almost anything we choose to do in our life and even really within our family dynamic. Um, so have you ever faced these challenges before or is this completely different and how? Well, this is completely different. <laughs> <laughs> um, I cannot say how completely different this is, but I think what's similar is the similarity with all challenges in that we have a response to challenges and all challenges kind of ask us to kick ourselves out of our comfort zone a little bit and they give us the expectation and the need to change our perspective. And certainly in this particular situation, we don't have a model. This is the very first time for everybody. Everybody is figuring it out literally across the globe. Um, everyone's having the same experience at the same time and there isn't anyone who has the answers, so to speak. There isn't any place else that we can look for input except for kind of a deep connection to ourselves and the people that we love. 
what we need to do in that moment. So I think that's the similarity of the challenge, but yeah. <laughs> um, this is a little different. I totally agree. We're, we are all going through that FFT. And again, if you haven't heard of that term, it's, uh, it's a fun one to look up. Yes. Uh, so what results have you gotten by facing these challenges in the past, by stepping outside of that box? I think for me, it's any challenge that you have and everybody has them as you go through your life journey. Things come up and you've got to pivot, you've got to change, you've got to think on your feet. I think for me, probably the biggest challenge for our family was Aiden's diagnosis of type 1 diabetes because we knew absolutely nothing about it. And it is a game changer in that it impacts every single aspect of your life. And not just the person who's diagnosed, but everybody that lives with them. And I think the biggest things that we learned from that particular challenge about diabetes was asking the questions of what do I need to do? What information do I need? Where do I get that information? And then how do I move forward? Perfect. So I like to look at, at the whole pausing as a, a pause, pivot, reflect, release, and recharge. Mm. Is that how you, you see this? This particular time? I think definitely. We're going through a situation where if we don't have a little bit of reflection and insight to ourselves, then I think we're just going to be spinning and probably the most important thing we can do to kind of manage the feelings of all of this uncertainty is try to get a little bit grounded and be present in your moment. And yeah, definitely as we go through this figuring it out, there are some things that we are not gonna be able to do, expectations that we have of ourselves or others that we may need to really let go of. Totally agree. So where have you gained your best insight for creating results versus giving up to these challenges. So in other words, how have you been able to overcome these obstacles? Was there a person or mentor or role model for you? So I think the question of how are you able to overcome those challenges is the same for anybody else. You just keep moving forward. There is no time where you just give up. Now giving up is different from, I need to take a minute and figure out how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and giving yourself a little bit of grace to take the pause that you need, um, but always kind of having a quick recovery, coming back to what you feel like you need to do. And I'm gonna say again that when um, we were privileged to be involved with this group called Friends for Life, and we met people from all over the globe, mostly the United States, who lived with type 1 diabetes in their lives. What was unique and interesting about it is that you cannot imagine the variety of things that they did. Some of them were just kind of like a regular guy. Hi, I'm a police officer and I live with type 1 diabetes. Most of them were, hi, I'm an 8-year-old, I'm a 12-year-old, I'm a 16-year-old, and this is how I live with it. Uh, but then they brought in people who were experts within their field and a lot of really amazing heroes, people who climb Mount Everest, oh, and manage diabetes, people who run marathons through the desert. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, which could be a little bit intimidating because you're like, I don't know if I want to be in this crowd because I am not going to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> the expectations are too high here. <laughs> There's no way that I can be like that. Um, but what you find is their stories are what 
is enlightening. They don't tell their stories in terms of the results that they've gotten. They always tell their stories in terms of the process that they are experiencing their setbacks and their challenges and then how they move forward. So it's really, I think, a recognition that you don't have to have the answers on your journey as you're moving forward. It's okay to not have the answers. It's probably more important to just continue to ask yourself the questions. And then if you're paying attention, you find that you have a lot of those answers inside of yourself already. Of course you do. A lot of times you just need to uh, eliminate some of that outside chatter. Yes. And then, <laughs> only then can you begin to, to listen to yourself. Because if, if you're constantly having that input, then you can't hear yourself. That is true. And I think if you're constantly looking to others as though they have the answer, you're not going to value your own answers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how long did it take you to get to where you are today with your balancing career and family knowledge and experience? My entire life. <laughs> oh, ditto. P.S. P.S. Let's wait and see what tomorrow brings. Right, right. So, yeah, no, definitely. The next hour. <laughs> right, right. Subject to change at any moment. That's right. It's every single day. It's the entire life. It's every success where you're like, hey, that went great. It's every failure where you wonder what you were thinking or how that how that played out exactly that way. And hopefully if you're kind of inviting your own reflection, you can sort of with some consciousness choose to kind of go back to what's important to you. So do you feel like you took the long road or the short road to get here and why? Definitely the very long road. Okay. And in some ways, I think that's really a celebration. And this is just my personal opinion, but I feel like if you are on the long road, you're still moving, you're still growing. And if you're on the short road, you've kind of already maybe decided your destination. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, because maybe for some people, that's exactly what they need. But I feel sometimes when you've already decided what your destination is, maybe you stop growing as much. So would you agree that the long road is possibly more scenic and that you learn more along the way and capture more wisdom as you go? Absolutely. Absolutely. In the long road, you have more opportunities to be a little bit uncomfortable. And I think it's in those moments when we're rather uncomfortable that we have the greatest opportunities for, for growth. And it doesn't hurt if it's scenic and sometimes, you know, beautiful along the way. Exactly. I feel the same way. So now that you are a few weeks into teaching online, what is your day-to-day -day life reality like when it comes to finding balance with your career and family? Wow. We're going to back up to the first weeks <laughs> that we knew that this is what we would be doing. Um, you know, the first two weeks, everybody was just in a holding pattern and we just waited. When they came back with our plan of action for our online continuous learning, um, those first weeks were just so consuming as I can't tell you like how extraordinary I think every educator was in quickly as they best could figure out how we were going to do this. All the while reaching out to our students and keeping a connection with them, checking in with everybody, making sure they have what they need. And not to say that everyone does, but figuring out a way to continue those 
connections. It was a little bit stressful at first, definitely because it was so consuming. It took just hours and hours to figure out what you were supposed to be doing. And then we got a little bit of a break from that because we did spring break, <laughs> which was a little odd. Um, right, right. But we, but we did that and, and we took a pause um, and then we kind of came back to it that following week. And then it's just a matter of setting that schedule. I say setting the schedule because you do need to maintain some boundaries. That's where I figured out that the schedule was really kind of important. Teaching, unlike maybe some other careers, is incredibly structured. Down to the minute, you know, you have exactly three minutes to get from this class to this class. So I was used to living in that structured environment, as are all students. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have that at all. And so it's up to us as individuals and as parents and as students to figure out how to function best in that. So, you know, according to your family's needs, figure out what your schedule needs to be and then try to stick to it because. I've myself have had days where I feel like it just drifts away from me. Um, And then other days where I feel like, oh, wow, I've been working for the last 10 hours and I haven't taken a break because we also have to be flexible with our students. Not all of them can work during the day at the exact same time. They're juggling maybe requirements from their family to help with younger siblings, or maybe they don't have the access to technology that is available enough that everybody gets their own device. So they've, they've got to be flexible. So we have boundaries, but I can't say that I don't respond to emails kind of late at night if that's when the kids have the opportunity to be working. For me, it's different. My eighth graders are much more independent. And so I communicate with them directly, helping them navigate this online learning platform. Being a teacher is truly a dedication of love, or at least I truly feel that it is and, and see it that way. Is your time spent differently now versus when you were physically in the classroom? You spoke about structure and having that schedule. So, you know, typically I know a lot of of teachers who they spend their day in the classroom and then they spend their evening grading papers and still doing their teacher duties, if you will. So is there any difference uh, now that you have this uh, online learning? Hmm. The truth of teaching that is true and ever-changing is that it does not all fit in a day. It just doesn't. But I think the biggest difference is that we don't get that connection in our classroom with our students. For me, that's the biggest. I can evaluate the work that they're doing online. I can talk to them about the content and the information, and I send out weekly updates on strategies and tips for success and sometimes reach out to them individually hey, I see you only spent three minutes on this quiz. You might want to go back and do that again. Um, <laughs> so it's a lot of you know follow-up and communicating with them about the progress that they are making, reaching out to students who are not making progress and seeing what it is that they need. Um, uh, occasionally, if you have a student that you know has a tendency to just shut down a little bit or drift away, checking in, hey, this is it. I'm checking in with you. I need you to respond to me. Um, What do you think you need? Sometimes they just need a little bit of a push. And so with a smiley face icon, I say, this is your official push. um, And it's time for you to get back at it. But always every single email, every interaction is, please let me know what I can do to help you. Is there anything that you need? And always, you know, understanding that everybody is having a different experience at any given moment. I know for my own family, we have 
days and weeks where like, okay, we've got this. This is great. And then the enormity of this can just step in and make us feel so different. And we've got to respect that and give ourselves the grace to take time to address it and just let it flow through you. It's not a good feeling or a bad feeling. It just is. Um, But I think that the biggest difference right now absolutely has to be the amount of energy that I put into my students. Every teacher has like kind of a different personality. They're all created differently. And while that might not be a student's favorite thing, it does benefit them in the long run. They get to work with a variety of requirements and personalities. Um, but definitely my personality is that I'm, I mom them. <laughs> I really do every one of them. Um, and that's what some of my students really need. And those are the ones with whom I have probably one of the strongest connections. Other students don't really need that as much. They groove a little bit differently. That's definitely the hard part is missing my students so much. I can understand that you form those relationships and those connections. And so in offering uh, the extra help or the, the mentorship, um, as, as I see it described, have any of the kids reached back and, and asked for additional help? Absolutely. Some of them will just reach out and say, I really miss school. I really miss the classroom. Some of them will sort of apologetically say, I know I didn't do as well as I could. This has been really rough. And my response, response to them is, please do not apologize. We are all figuring this out. There's nothing you need to apologize for. Um, just do your best. And it is a very, it's one style of learning with this online learning platform. And in a classroom, students are used to having a variety of ways to interact with the content. We don't do the same thing every day. We mix it up. So if you are a visual learner, you have your opportunity to be like, oh, okay, I really get this. You know, all the while giving them an opportunity to practice all sorts of modalities. Yeah, I, I think that having students reach out has been gratifying because I think it gives us an opportunity to see each other more as humans, as people. You know, I, I tell them that I tell them that I miss them, but I'm very careful about the way I do it because I don't want to make it seem like sadness. It's just sort of an acknowledgement of, hey, this is not how we would do it. We would all be together. And then very much with the, the vibe of we're making the best of this and we will figure it out. Right. So I think that care and concern is something that anyone wants to receive and know and value, regardless of whatever your age is. People want to know that others care about them and they're concerned. And I think that's just perfect and and wonderful that that you're passing that forward to them. What would you say to moms or anyone really who are nervous about getting started with balancing career and family? And what would you say to put their mind at ease? Hmm. I would say that the biggest thing that every single person possesses as they begin to assess their own need for balance is that you have got the option of yes and no thank you. The power of no. Right. And it can be a polite no. Um, You know, we can't please everybody, but that power of yes and no thank you is giving you the option of what you can let go of. What serves you? What serves your family? Um, And I think also another, and seeking the positivity, like always when you're evaluating those questions, yes and no thank you, is with the frame of seeking out positivity for yourself and others. And then I think also that it's important to be very specific about the help that you might need from others. 
and then asking for it and then allowing um, that that help so that you feel connected to others, even though you're taking on something else new and possibly enormous. Well, and I think for me personally, one of the the best things that someone ever taught me in learning the power of no was just how to say it and say it politely. Right. And it it kind of went like, I'd love to, but mm -hmm. you just you take care of yourself first. It's that whole putting on your own oxygen mask before you can help other people. So many times we say yes when really we should be saying no. That's true. I think we all have a tendency to do that sometimes in an effort to stay connected and to, to be pleasing to other people, not necessarily that we don't value ourselves, but in a perfect world, if I had the time and space, I would love to do that. Um, but I think we really need to be careful about the things that we take on. We can't take it all on. I totally agree. Totally. So what do you think stops someone from pulling the trigger and pursuing a new career? Hmm. I think that, I think really the answer to that is specific to individuals, but I think probably most people are not always really entirely willing to look at what's holding them back. Like there's got to be some reason that you're not going to jump in. There's something that's making you play a little bit smaller than you should, whether that is a lack of confidence or feeling like you would be making yourself too much of a priority. I think sometimes people misguidedly think that as selfish, that if I put myself first, that is too selfish, where, you know, it's actually opposite you know as they always say in the airplane put on your own oxygen mask first so if you're doing what serves you that in turn is serving those that you love as well yeah. so i think that's probably one of the biggest thing is that we're always afraid of change a little bit because it does kick us out of our comfort zone but i think there are times when people are not always willing to kind of look at what the answers to those questions would be well and i like to to say that everything that you want is on the other side of fear and so many times yes. fear gets in the way of, of the things that you truly want to do and is your passion greater than your fear? And so what do you feel would be the first step that someone should take to get started with following their dream or their passion? I want to say first that I've always felt and am learning more in my life every day that the answer to fear is always love. And I think that that love can make you feel more calm and maybe more willing to go ahead and take that step. As far as what gets you started, I think that you, you have to just start. I, I don't know any other way to say it. You just start, you jump right in. I think that's a Zach Brown band song, right? You jump right in. Right. Once you kind of jump in and you begin it kind of starts a momentum. It's kind of gets that energy flowing and then things come to you once you put out your intention of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And also once you start, you don't have to know every single answer. You don't have to know every single step. You make the next right step. You continue to kind of evaluate where am I right now? I'm going to do a little bit of analysis. Is this serving me? Is this serving others positively? What feels right for me? And then as you're moving along after you start, you can say, what can I do right now? Because there are going to be times where there is a pause. That's got to be okay. And instead of saying, oh, okay, well, I started and it didn't really work out. You just think, okay, but what can I do right now? 
Is it, I need more information? Do I need a little bit more research? Is there something that I need to learn and know before I move forward? And I think also you have to be willing to, I think you have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to kind of give up other things to seek that new direction. Well, and I often like to think too that you have to be willing to fail because oh, yeah. the only way you're going to learn some things is in failure and you'll know what you'll do differently the next time around. Absolutely true. So what would you say the biggest pitfall someone needs to avoid when getting started with stepping out of their comfort zone and doing something new? I think probably one of the biggest obstacles is thinking that whatever you want to do will come together a little bit quickly. Maybe we're a little bit impatient because we need that reinforcement that we're doing the right thing. We want it to all work exactly the first time. And I don't think it usually ever really goes that way. And I think sometimes also people feel like they will know how to be or what to do and then they'll go forward instead of just starting and thinking, I will figure it out as I go along. I'm going to read the room. I'm going to do my analysis on the fly. Um, they wait until they feel like they know everything before they begin. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. So that takes us back to sometimes that long haul ver versus the short trip is just right. so much better along the yeah. way. So are there any secrets that you could share? Is there a secret sauce to pulling it all together and making it work for you and your family? I love this question. And the question also just makes me a little bit uncomfortable because my first truth is it doesn't always work for my family. So do I have a secret sauce? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I really do not. And it, and it doesn't always work for my family. It can be, you know, every one of us is an individual having our own experience and it can get a little messy as we come together interacting. But with that said, we still try to show love and respect for each other. Our commitment to each other is always there. And we just listen and we come back with a quick recovery to what we love about each other. And then we show up, you know, we show up, we are committed and we just kind of reinforce those loving connections and boundaries at the same time. Well, and I think it goes back to so much of what's been lost and forgotten in today's world of just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean that we can't still be friends or still communicate or just because I don't like what you're doing doesn't mean that I don't love you. Yeah. And so I think that's a big lesson. And hopefully during this time that people are home with each other more, they're having to learn and figure out some of these things that, that you can coexist in the same environment and get along and agree to to disagree. So hopefully that's that's one of the takeaways that people will find during this um, this time when we're so close with one another. I think that's true. I think in my own family, my son is 23 and my daughter is 17 and she'll be 18 in a few weeks. That's an interesting time. I reflect on who I was and <laughs> you know, what I was like at that time. And you have to respect their process of them developing as individuals. And even those times where I look at them, like I think they may have completely lost their minds. I have to reflect <laughs> that that was definitely the truth and could still be true of me on any given day. So you do, you just have to kind of respect that, uh, 
you know, everybody's in a slightly different place. That's exactly right. All right. So the next thing that, that I want to cover and, and go over is, is kind of like a, a multi-part. So if you could start all over again, what would you do a lot less of? Or what, what's the number one time waster that people need to avoid if they want to pursue their dreams? And what's the biggest mistake that you've made with balancing career and family? And how can others learn from your experience? That's a whole lot just wrapped into one little bubble there. I think that question might be bigger than my answer. I don't know. Um, I would say that what's the biggest, what would I do a lot less of? Well, I would definitely, I would worry less. Um, I think that I will put my hand up for like overthinkers anonymous. Definitely. Um, that's probably my default setting. And when I am working on myself, this is the thing that I'm always kind of going back to giving up a little bit of. Um, but I think definitely when it comes to that balance is the acknowledgement and understanding that your family does not and will not really look like any other family. What you do for your relationships, what you do for your connection is, is going to be different and that that's okay. And I think that in this day and age when we have so much access to what it seems like everybody else is doing um, because of things like social media or just even the saturation of media in general, we almost have like a prescription of like what a family should look like and what they should be doing and what levels of success you should have achieved by now. And I think that you have to be open to the fact that that changes. And I think you have to be open to the fact that everything happens within its own time. I think one of my favorite phrases from our Episcopal church tradition is the phrase in the fullness of time. And I think the fullness of time means that everything happens in its own time. So what my family looks like, even in a community of others, is and will be different. I shouldn't, you know, to compare is to steal your own joy. And I think that we probably do a lot more comparing than we are entirely aware of sometimes. And I think it's the biggest thing that takes the wind out of your sails if you feel like you're supposed to look like somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so you just kind of have to go back to what your strengths are. And do you? Yeah. Do you? So what would you say to someone who thinks that they don't have enough time to get started with pursuing their passion and how could they get started effectively? I think I, probably you need to rearrange the priorities of your life because I know in my own life, there are probably half hours of precious time that I'm not necessarily willing to tell people what I do. <laughs> you know, am I watching a TV show that is just probably not the best example of, of humanity for me, but it's little things like that. And I think it also comes back to that power of yes and no thank you. And so in any given day, if we take a construct of a 24 hour day, um, there is time in there. We have to, take the time. You can't make time. Time just exists, right? This is what we've got. 24 hours that we've decided is a day. And so you can't make it, but you have to take it. And in taking it, it means that there'll be less time for something else, but that's always the balance. So, so if you have to start small, just start small. Start with that one next right thing and then just kind of, you know, allow your time frame to develop from there. So are you currently reading any books or following any podcasts? And what has drawn you to them? Wow. 
So I read books, but it's mostly historical fiction. That's just my go-to, my, my outlet. But I am definitely like the queen of podcasts right now. And I have been for the last year or two. I listened to them in the car on the way to work back in the days when we used to drive to work. I started out with Oprah's Super Soul Conversations. And what I like about that particular podcast is she has a wide variety of people on there. Um, sometimes spiritual leaders, sometimes just famous people who have some perspective to share. But I always find something rather enlightening. Um, I don't listen to every single one of them, but I usually um, enjoy them quite a lot. Most recently, Brene Brown has come out with her own podcast. I think the thing I love about her the most is that she is an academic and she's very um, into the data of psychology and our stories and all of this analysis, but then she sort of brings it down to the level of real humans so that I can actually understand it and find meaning in it that helps it, you know, helps me apply it to my life. But she too has these incredible conversations with other people and you always sort of glean a little bit along the way. Uh, let's see. I also listened to a gentleman that I don't even remember how I found him. Um, his name is Ed Milet. And he is a entrepreneur based out of California and he is a businessman. So there's really nothing about his life that looks anything like my life. <laughs> I don't think he ever deals with middle schoolers. But what I like about him is that his focus on business is developing individuals. And I would have to say that that is probably the focus of my business as well. As a teacher, I'm focused on hopefully helping develop individuals. And so he has so many people on there that talk about their growth, the obstacles they've overcome, insights. And also he's so great about giving his positivity and his belief in individuals. It doesn't really matter where you are or what you're doing. You have to start with a belief in yourself and you just decide that you do. And then once you get that going, it sort of reinforces itself. So I find him pretty amazing. Um, and he has such zest for life and enjoys his conversations with other people on his podcast. And then the last one, which is a window into my world, is um, a woman named Sam Laura Brown. She is a psychologist out of Australia, and she has a podcast called The Perfectionism Project. And I would have not even thought that I was a perfectionist, but apparently <laughs> it's a little bit of an issue that I have. <laughs> and her definition of perfectionist <laughs> was not at all what I would have thought. Um, and I thought, oh my gosh, I think I need to pay attention to this. And so again and again, her story is more about you don't have to be perfect. You have to just show up. Mm. You have to just begin. Showing up is the hardest part. So we're almost at the end of May, and that's so hard to believe. Do you have any resources or suggestions you would like to share with parents to keep their children engaged before going into the summer months? Well, I think the first thing I will always say is read a good book. And then beyond that, I think that coming off of the experience that every family is having right now, it's probably going to be really important for families to continue to highlight um, what they find valuable. What is, your, what is your family mantra? Like, what are your principles? What do you believe in as a family? And then try to make sure that the actions that you take as a family connect with that. And I know that sounds really highbrow, but it isn't. It's just about staying present and connected with each other. Those are the basics, really. Everything totally. starts at home. You know, teaching your little brother how to make 
the perfect ham sandwich with tomatoes and mayonnaise and um, little things like that. I agree. So, so much so. So is there anyone you would like to give a shout out to that has been a great inspiration and leader for you during these past few months? There are so many of them. I think my first shout out has to be to, um, to Carol, to you and my other Zoom friends. That has been such an integral part of, of making us feel connected and keeping a hold of that, that normalcy that, hey, we do have friends who live outside of our home. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we do enjoy each other and we have a good time together. Um, and just, you know, whether it's telling silly jokes, changing costumes quickly and putting on a new hat or talking about, you know, the, the struggles that inevitably come up as everybody begins to deal with this situation. That has been really important. Um, you know, I've got a couple other Zoom groups that I am blessed to be a part of with old friends that are far flung. And then my next shout out is, believe it or not, Katie Couric, who is not somebody that I really followed prior to this situation. And what I love about her is that she's got it all. She is right in there with the news. She doesn't shy away from it, but she presents it in such a way that you almost believe her when she sort of gives that message that it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. So I feel like she's really been so brave in the way that she's willing to connect with individuals who are having so many different experiences and the tragedy of the loss um, that people are experiencing. It is real and it is a crisis. It is truly real. And unfortunately, not everyone sees it as that. Yes. And it, there's a sadness that it may keep us in a, in a position that we don't want to be in for a lot longer. So we just, we have to learn how to deal with it. And certainly people like her who keep that positive outlook is a huge help to um, to a lot of people, that's for sure. She's also been gracious in sharing her personal experiences in her home, as everyone is experiencing this, this, um, this pandemic and just working it out. What does it look like when many of your adult children are suddenly piling into your home? And, um, and how we balance that? Who's cooking dinner tonight? Um, so it's been, it's been nice, but not in that way where Obviously, her experience is a little different from mine, but the things that I can reflect on are the way she's connected with her family. And then I have to give a shout out to um, our superintendent of schools and our school board and even my principal. I cannot imagine the tireless hours that they have put forth to just keep us all focused on the next right thing. And I could not give them enough credit for the way that they have led us all in keeping a continuity of education and a continuity of our community. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, it's been an awesome showing. It really has, especially for our seniors. Um, so what's the biggest aha moment you've had since having to teach online? So what would you consider a real head slapper, if you will? Mm, this was actually not a head slapper, but just kind of a quiet recognition. As I watch my daughter, deal with her own online schooling as she's finishing up her senior year. And it's sort of the recognition of what has always been true, but it's very present in this moment that each of us ultimately is responsible for what we learn and making sure that we do learn. I've watched my students have a variety of experiences. Some of them are actually thriving in this environment where they are just online doing the work. Others are struggling a little bit. Um, and it just reminds me that really at the end of the day, we are always responsible for what we learn. 
and the different personalities and what it takes to do this, that, and the other, I would imagine. If you could look into a crystal ball, what changes do you see on the horizon for teaching our youth and balancing your family in the next six months? I think the biggest, I don't want to call it an obstacle, but I think the biggest challenge that we will have is going to actually be our re-entry into society <clears throat> as we move forward in meeting the needs of students. Are we coming back to a physical building? Are we going to continue online learning? Is it going to be some sort of a hybrid? There are so many things that we do not know. And I think it's going to be really crucial that each family kind of stay connected with um, looking out for each other within their family and being responsible to the members of their community as we move forward. As people move out in the world today, it's um, this is a whole other ball of wax. We have to adjust to this as well. How do we do this? What does it look like? What are our precautions? What is allowable? Just being cautious and responsible with the people around us. So it's a whole new host of FFTs. So right, on a daily basis. <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> so here's a, here's a fun um, a fun thought. If you were given a $100 gift card to Amazon, what would you buy? I would buy wine. I would buy all of the wine. <laughs> Maybe that's not the enlightened answer, but that is the truth. Um, and, and we can certainly practice social distancing as I sit on your deck or. In right. A, At some point, that has to be our reality. <laughs> At some point that has to happen. Oh, I'm in. I'm totally in. So when you dream and goal set, what is your number one priority? How will this impact my family? That is the truth. I'm always thinking in terms of not just for myself, but for all of us. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So do you have a quick start checklist for others to help them implement what you've just taught them in this interview about overcoming adversity with career and family? all under the same roof. Do I have a quick start checklist? Yes. Does it help overcoming the adversity? I'm not sure. I will get back to you on that. <laughs> okay. Please stay tuned. Um, I think that my husband is a contractor um, and a developer by nature. He's been writing coding, coding and writing software since he was like 10 years old. He has a very different brain from mine. I do. <laughs> yeah, he likes to he likes to talk about things. Um, a couple of years ago, he started running for the first time ever in his life as an adult, and he decided to first run a five k. That was a big fat deal for him. Um, and then that led to, hey, how about a ten k? Oh, I'm going to do a half marathon. And then he ran the Marine Corps marathon in October. Um, so it's been an incredible journey for him. But he said he had to break it down in to what he calls deliverables. So it's your action item. It's where you wanna go. And the way that you make that happen is what we actually do intuitively, I think every day, especially as we live in school structure, we're always looking for the next milestone. When is the report card coming out? When does that marking period end? When is that exam? How are we wrapping up? When are we moving on to the next thing? So, and I think that most families probably do that. They're looking for that deliverable and then breaking it down into measurable steps. What does achieving that goal look like? Um, and then I think also, as you make those plans and you set your deliverables and you're moving forward, you've got to also be aware of what happens next if it completely blows up, because that does happen. 
And I think the biggest thing is just kind of make a quick recovery, make a quick recovery, and then go back to your plan as best as you are able to. And I think in doing that, you can keep moving forward. Awesome. So Mural, thank you so much for, for being here with us today. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or next steps, final words of advice for our audience? I think for me, this time of being in quarantine and radically changing our life structure has allowed me to recognize that it's so important to give ourselves grace. Mm, yes. Give to yourself and to others as much grace as you can and to just be really present in your moment. Mm-hmm. And permission to, if you feel like you need a nap, take a nap. Take a damn nap. <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> Those are Muriel's parting words. Take a nap and give yourself grace. Those are awesome. So Muriel, again, thank you so much for being a part of, of my FFT and getting me off the fence, off the couch, up off the couch and getting this first podcast done. You've been amazing. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's my absolute pleasure. It was with gratitude that I was able to do this with you. This is the most fun I've had all week. Oh, awesome. Me too, actually. <laughs> oh, and now it's time to plant some flowers. But yeah, we're going to have some beautiful weather. So I'm going to take advantage of it before it gets cold again next week. Is it going to be cold next week? Well, it's not going to be 80 degrees. It's going to be like 65. And you know how I feel about that. What? Yeah, I know. Anything under 70 is just, you know, hibernation. No way. Yes. Yes way. Well, there you have it. The end of the first FFT podcast for Embrace Your Journey. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you'll come back and join us again the next time. Until then, follow your dreams. Embrace your passion. Embrace your life. Create your life and embrace your journey. I'm Carol Davis.